two creepy stories to finish off the week. First off, we head to Pennsylvania to earn a merit badge in terror. And then we travel to Tennessee to drive through Sensbaugh Tunnel, shut our lights off, and see what happens next. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I'm tired, actually. I had to take a nap. It's 9 p.m. right now. I got off work and I sat there in front of the microphone and I was like, I can't record anything. I'm too sleepy. But you know what's funny? When I woke up, I had a thought. I don't know why this popped in my head. Maybe it had something to do with the dream I was having, which I don't remember. But I thought, you know that phrase? You know, someone goes like, oh, I'm going to beat you up. And then you go... No, you don't burp. You go, you go, yeah, you and what army? And then the dude's like, this army. Or usually, like, I remember saying that as a kid, where some kid's saying he's going to stomp me, and I'm like, yeah, you and what army? It's usually people, and of course, the British say it differently. They say, you and whose army? That's so stupid. That doesn't even make any sense. You and whose army? But what's bizarre is that that's a relatively recent phrase. And nobody knows where it came from. Like, I, I did some cursory investigation, like, since I woke up. I looked around. Nobody knows where that phrase comes from. So bizarre. They think it started around the 1940s, 1950s. But there's not, like, a single book or movie that they can track it back to. Kind of weird. I don't think it's as popular as a phrase as it used to be. But I, people would say it all the time when I was a kid. But yeah, I, you don't hear it very often now. But still, it's weird to have a phrase that that's recent, that 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 is that well-known. Nobody knows where it came from. And then someone says, hey, Jason, you should do more research on that. And I go, who's going to make me? Wait, no, that's not how it goes. You go, Jason, I'm going to pummel you if you don't do more research. And I go, yeah, you and what army? Let's go ahead and get started with the episode here. What we're going to do is we're going to have to go to Pennsylvania. And we're going back in time like we do so many times in these stories. I don't know why I said it like that. Let's go ahead and hop in the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. The slowest, noisiest mode of transportation possible, a dirgible. You'd think it would be quite quiet, because it's mostly air, but you know those big propellers. I imagine they're noisy. I've never been near a blimp, I've just seen them. Anyways, we're going to take the Dead Rabbit Dirgible and go through time. We're going back to the year 1970. So imagine a bunch of paisley and bell-bottoms are just kind of everywhere at this point. A lava lamp was recently elected as president. It is the most 1970-ish time in 1970. But to escape all of the paisley overdose and all these people kung fu fighting, a lot of people wanted to remain part of the simpler life. They wanted something better for their kids. And the kids liked it too. And they joined the Boy Scouts. April 25th in Chester County, Pennsylvania. There's a little Boy Scout camp. And it's a nice spring day. And there's a church. And behind the church, there's like this little river, this stream that you can camp in. There's actually like woods and a little grassy area. So I think it was like 200 yards from the church itself. So it wasn't like right next door. There weren't cars parking next to them. It was a nice camp spot. Boy Scout Troop 275 is setting up camp. The day of the 25th, it's their first day, so they go and they set up their camp. Kids are, like, carrying wood, and the scoutmaster's like, yes, that is a great branch. And then they're, like, humming, and they're fishing in the river. 
doing little merit badge stuff. Doing stuff boys like to do when they hang out. And they're Boy Scouts. So it's mostly like stuff that would bo- probably bore you and me. They're like, look at me, I whittled this flute. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's adorable. But, you know, that's not what I like. But anyway, so they like all this nature stuff, chopping trees down, whatever. Whatever kids do in the Boy Scouts, I don't know. But at night, it's time for the kids to settle down. Settle down, kids. Put your whittling stuff away. No, no more making flutes. No more doing what you guys do. It's time to go to bed. And the kids are like, aww. I really like making this wooden stuff. I really have no clue what the Boy Scouts do. I know they have merit badges. I know they have knives. That's about it. So, anyways. They're like, quit making wood stuff because that's apparently all we know how to do. It's time to go to bed. There was 23 Scouts and 6 adult leaders. Now, technically, when you think of adult, like you, I would imagine there was at least one or two people there my age. But we don't know... F- for sure, at least from what the details that I have. We don't know for sure. Adults could obviously just be Eagle Scouts. They're like 18. Just turned 18 type of adults. And they set up their little camp. The camp's already set up. There's just wood shavings everywhere from all their wood-based activities. And everyone crawls in their sleeping bag and goes to sleep. Now, there were a few tents if people kind of wussed out and couldn't stand the temperature. But again, it's April 25th in Pennsylvania. It's not snow and it's not a storm and nothing. So most of the kids man up, sleep in their sleeping bag. Their sleeping bags are set up in like a circular fashion. And 23 kids and 6 adults quickly fall asleep. Dreams of cutting more wood tomorrow. Timber, they hear in their dreams. They're all dreaming about Paul Bunyan. April 26th, next morning, everyone wakes up. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that was, that was, I had a good night's sleep. It was awesome. But one kid doesn't get up and do a stereotypical yawn and stretch. One kid named Terrence Bowers, 11-year-old boy. As the other scouts and the scoutmasters are, you know, kind of waking up and everything like that, they see one sleeping bag in the circle that the kid isn't moving in. Deep sleeper, maybe. But they also notice all the blood. A massive amount of blood coming out of the sleeping bag, soaking the sleeping bag, to the point where they're like, okay, that's not normal. Some people are deep sleepers, but most people don't bleed out liters of blood. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. I guess I don't think you'd have to be a Boy Scout, or actually even like an adult, to realize that something was wrong if a man was sleeping in a bloody sleeping bag. I have no, okay, I have no idea why I structured this segment like this. But anyways, here we are, we're committing to it. They go, oh no, this sleeping bag is covered in blood. They call the cops. They call the parents of all the kids. The parents, it's a 100% true story. So first off, they call the cops, but then they call the parents. And they say, and they didn't have cell phones back then, so how did they call everyone so quickly? But by the time the cops got to the campsite, it was there was parents everywhere. Holding their kids, hugging their kids. And the cops show up, the sleeping bag with the body in it had been moved. His 11-year-old boy had been moved, and parents were tromping all over the crime scene. The police are like, whoa, 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 nobody goes anywhere. You don't get to take your kid home at all. We have to interview everyone here, all 23 of you, plus the, uh, plus the scoutmasters, plus anyone else who's walking around. we got to figure out what it is. This is what we know about this crime. Terrence Bowers was 11 years old. He was killed with a Boy Scout pocket knife. 
That's it. That's all they know. This happened in 1970. They have no other information other than that. And the pocket knife was never found. They think, based on the way that the injury is in his body, it looks like a pocket, a Boy Scout's pocket knife, which, but which ranking different weapons to be killed by, that would be very, very, very low down on my want to be killed by. They're fairly dull. I mean, I've owned Swiss Army knives. It's kind of the same thing. They're, they're fairly short. They're pokey, but they're kind of dull. It seems like it would take a long time. But according to the report, I, I mean, like, how did he not make any noises? It must have been a super sudden attack and was able to do enough damage, like, straight to an aorta or a carotid artery. Like, it's grim. But how do you not wake up 23 kids with this pocket knife? But they've never found it. They've never, ever found the murder weapon. They just go, based on the injuries, it looks like this was that type of weapon. All 23 kids and the six adults said they didn't see anything. They hadn't heard anything? Because we did an episode on the Girl Scout murders, and you had all these people waking up through the night and hearing these noises and things like that. All of these kids are like, we didn't hear anything. We just woke up and he was dead. Cops start investigating like a normal thing, and I didn't know this. This is I thought this was interesting, too. The Boy Scouts have a thing called the Perversion Files, which is basically a list of all the local pedophiles in their area who tried joining the Boy Scouts and got booted out. They look through the perversion files. They do find this guy named Lawrence Wackley. He was in the perversion files at the time. In 2012, uh, Lawrence Wackley was actually... <clears throat> that name. Lawrence Wackley was actually in prison for a rape. And in prison, he said he did it because he wanted to get back at the Boy Scouts for not allowing him to be in the Boy Scouts. And they put him in the perversion files. So, But then the cops go and they investigate this guy and they rule him out. They said he didn't do it. He's just bragging because he's a big old sicko dude sitting in prison somewhere. He had nothing to do with this murder. So in 2017, though, they, a reward. There's always been a reward, but in 2017, it's topped out at $25,000 for any evidence that can lead to a conviction in this case. The, you know, it's just so creepy because you think, like, you okay, listen, you get it. If you're walking through the woods by yourself late at night, you have a chance of getting murdered. You're walking through a neighborhood late at night, you have a chance of getting murdered. If you're living in a house in a bad neighborhood, you have a chance of getting murdered. When you're sleeping with a group of 29 people, I think you feel like you're fairly safe. You, when, when you're going to sleep and you're surrounded by 29 people, 29 friends, not just 29 random people, but you're going to sleep around 29 people, you may think, Best case scenario, I have a good night's sleep. Worst case scenario, someone draws a penis on my face. And if you're camping in that scenario, you go, a skunk may spray me or a cougar may get me. But there's 29 of us. The chances of the cougar landing on me directly, 1 in 29. But you don't imagine as you go to bed that a dull knife is going to go in and out of you. You that, that is the last thing you really worry about unless you're stick of butter. You, it's not a concern of yours, but it, it's so bizarre. And really, like modern-day sleuths, they say one of those scouts had to have done it. Or a scoutmaster. One of them had to have done it, and they completely got away with it. But I don't know. Because that would require, that would basically be a crime of opportunity, and you'd start looking at motive, like which scout didn't like Terrence? Which Scoutmaster didn't like Terrence? I think it's more terrifying than that. I think someone was walking through the woods 200 yards from this church one night, 
came across 29 people, picked up a knife that was already one of those kids, and silently killed a guy at random. It could have been anybody. And then took the knife home. Somebody took it home, washed it off, put it in their pocket, put it on their shelf. A trophy for a long time of an unsolved murder. Now it's just sitting in someone's junk drawer. Never to be examined by the police. Never to have any DNA run on it. Just a dull Boy Scout knife sitting in a junk drawer somewhere. And maybe that guy's son runs across and he goes, Dad, I didn't know you were in the Boy Scouts. And Dad's like, oh yeah, no, I got that from a friend. Unsolved murders are just so weird, but I think just the randomness of this one really elevates it to a terrifying tale. But let's go ahead and move on to something equally terrifying if you're terrified of tunnels. You know what's funny? Is when I was researching this story, what kept popping in my head was the opening to that show, Tales from the Dark Side. It's funny because if you watch that show as a kid, Tales from the Dark Side was an American horror anthology show. It was kind of like Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits in the 80s. Had one of the best television openings of all time. So good, in fact, that when you watch the show, you're like, this show is garbage. The show itself was mediocre at best. But that opening credit scene is so creepy. And I don't know if it translates well now. If you look at the comments for the YouTube, when I watch it on YouTube, the comments are like, man, this totally scared me as a kid. Like, it would come on and I'd race to shut the television off. Sometimes I'd be walking through the house and my father would be watching it and just the noise scared me. I don't know if you just watched it on as a YouTube clip. It would terrify you. But it's funny because I got that feeling while I was researching that story and I went back to watch that opening and I was like, it still is terrifying. Tales from the Dark Side, the opening itself is just about how there is a a world of light and then there's a opposite world, a world of darkness. And just has this really creepy ding, 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 ding. And this voiceover narration. It's like a minute long, but... I don't know if it translates, but anyways, I was thinking about that when I was looking at Sensabog Tunnel. So we're going to leave the Dead Rabbit Dirigible in Pennsylvania. We're headed to Tennessee. More specifically, we're headed to Kingsport, Tennessee, and more specifically than that, we're headed to Sensabog Tunnel. Now, there's only one way to get into a tunnel. We need a car. Now, I have been working on the Jason Jalopy. I've been trying to get it back. We need our vehicles to go on these stories. And, good news, I got the frame banged out. Don't know anything about cars. I got the tires on. I know that much. No engine yet. So we're going to the Sensabog Tunnel in the Jason Jalopy. But you can't drive. We need someone to push it. And actually, the person pushing it is Ryan T. He he requested the story on YouTube. And because he's the one who requested it, he's got to push us all the way to Tennessee. So hope you got good legs. I hope you're like, oh, that sounded, that sounds. <laughs> I hope you have good legs, Ryan. You know what I mean? I didn't mean like that. Like muscular. <laughs> okay, that's not open. I hope you're fit. That's still, okay, that's fine. Ryan T is not pushing it. We're, there's a big hill that leads from Pennsylvania, because I don't want to imagine how thick his body is. There's a big hill that leads from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, somehow. And we all get in it. Me, you, and Ryan, and we roll all the way down to Tennessee to visit Sensabog Tunnel. And we need a car, because that's part of the magic. Now, let's talk a little bit about this tunnel. 
It was built in the 1920s, and it was actually built to, from what I could gather from my research, it was built to help support a railroad that was going on top of it. How does that even work? Like, does the arch help the mountain be, like, more stable? I don't know, but it's a road that you drive cars through, but it doesn't have a railroad track, but for some reason it was built so you could, like, railroad over it. I have no idea. I just imagine Thomas the Tank Engine, like, chugging butt up this mountain. How, actually, why would cutting a hole in a mountain make it stronger for a train to go over? But instead of researching that, I kept researching more about this spooky, spooky tunnel. It's only 380 feet, give or take, long. So quite short, but if you're paranoid of driving through mountains, that's incredibly long. I don't have a problem with tunnels. I don't have a problem with tunnels at all, but I know a lot of people do. We're in the Jason Jalopy. It's back in action halfway. And what we have to do is we have to drive or push the Jason Jalopy to Ryan with, with his muscular legs. I'm like, ooh, looking in the mirror. As, as we push the Jason Jalopy into the cave, into the tunnel. What's the difference between a tunnel and a cave? It's a cave. What's the, well, actually, that's a good question. What is the difference between a tunnel and a cave? Does a tunnel have a two openings and a cave only has one? Anyways, as I'm trying to figure that out, we're getting pushed into the middle of the Sensabog Tunnel. Now, here's the thing. If you're driving or being pushed through this tunnel and you shut your lights off around halfway through, the car won't turn back on. Click, 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 click. Oh, wait, wait, it wasn't on in the first place. So we didn't have to worry about that. It wasn't, I'm like, hey, just jump out and keep pushing. They're like, okay. It didn't turn on in the first place, so we can't tell that. But you hear, I'm a baby crying in the tunnel, which there's very few times when being in the dark and hearing a baby crying are good. I don't think there's really any time that that is. Unless you're like a spooky ghost, then you're like, yes, this is awesome. Unless you're trying to power your city through children's tears. Other than that, it's all would always be terrifying. Sometimes, though, you're sitting in Sensabog Tunnel and you look in the rearview mirror and you see a dark figure of a man standing at the mouth of the tunnel. It starts walking towards us. Foot, footsteps becoming faster now. He's running, is what I meant to say. He's running towards us. Hurry up, Ryan. Get back in. Get back in. I can't. My legs hurt. Sorry, bro. And, and this figure will run towards the back of your car. And if you don't get the car started by the time he gets there, you're dead. It's one of the. I, I think you're already starting to see some issues with this story. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff that can happen in this tunnel. The other thing is you'll be sitting in the tunnel, shut the lights off. You look in your rearview mirror. You see a dark figure sitting in the back seat of your car, staring at you. Got to get that car started. Or finally, you will shut your lights off. You'll shut your car off. You'll turn it back on. No problems. Light will come back on. Nothing. And you drive out of the tunnel to the safety of the light. And you're like, man, that was kind of disappointing. I thought like some dude was going to start chasing us or a baby was going to be crying. Whoa, what's that? You see a little handprint, a little kid's handprint on your car to let you know that although you didn't get one of the cool ghosts, the kids still care about you. Left a little handprint on your car. So like any good urban legend, it has origin stories. What's weird about it, though, is that all those things seem fairly separate. One, if you're in a dark tunnel, how do you notice a black figure is walking up behind you? Two, if you're in a dark tunnel and your lights are off, how do you know there's a black figure sitting in the back of your car? 
Three, baby crying. Yes, that's creepy. But what does that have to do with the handprint on your car? Babies, like, is it a baby handprint? Which you wouldn't even be able to tell. Baby handprints look like when leaves fall in water. That's That actually sounded quite poetic. But you know what I mean? Like, they don't actually have, like... Can you tell what a baby handprint looks like? I mean, it's almost just like a mush of flesh. I mean, they're not Care Bears. They have fingers and stuff like that. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I would... If, if a ghost of, like, a kid left a handprint on my car, I'd be like, oh my god, that's like a human handprint, but smaller. But if a baby ghost left a handprint on my car, I would be like, oh man, I've got to take my car to the car wash. There's this weird blob-like stain here. Wiping it off. I'm like, oh, and here's another one. Looks like the Virgin Mary wiping that off. I'm like, what's going on with my car? Obviously, I can't tell miracles unless they're like, or ghosts, unless they're like concrete. There's ghost babies floating all around me. I'm like, what? Where's all the Similac coming from? I must have just blown in on the wind. I only pay attention to non-baby ghosts, apparently. So you have all those different symptoms, I guess we should say. Most urban legends tend to be a little more specific, but this one's kind of all over the place. And I guess I should say this too. This is a real place. The place exists. The question is whether or not it has any of this stuff. There's basically three rumors that of why this place is haunted. I love, I love the first one, at least. First one's great. Number one, a homeless man... So the rumor started back in the 1960s. And again, it comes down to which one of these stories is true. One, a homeless man committed a robbery. And when he was like breaking into these dudes' house, because it's kind of residential in that area, but not like, it's, it's not like, you know, the suburbs. There's just houses here and there. There's this dude broke into a house and he's robbing and he's like, oh, dude, I'm, this, is, this is my greatest haul ever. I can't believe what a great robber I am. And all of a sudden, people come home, and they're like, dude, you're breaking into our house. And he's like, oh, no, got to go fast. So he's, like, running around the house. And to get them to stop chasing them, this is one of the dumbest criminal things that's ever happened. To get the people in the house from catching him for robbing them, he steals their baby as well and takes off into the night. If you want people to stop chasing you, don't continue to steal stuff, including human babies. Like, if someone corners you and you're like, oh my god, I'm holding all this gold, don't think they're going to stop chasing you if you then grab their daughter and jump out the window. They may or may not keep chasing you if you just have their gold. They definitely will chase you if you take a child. Anyways, he's running from the house with a baby, and all of a sudden he realizes that wasn't a good idea. I better get rid of this baby, so he throws the baby in a pond of water, and the baby drowns. And that pond of water is right outside of Sensabog Tunnel. Now... Never happened. That There has never been any report of a robbery in that area, no report of a baby being tossed in a pond, but it did allow the legend to be like, why there's a baby crying in the middle of the tunnel. There's another legend, and this one almost makes it like the Sensabog Tunnel was already haunted. The legend was that there was a young woman whose car broke down in the middle of the tunnel, and she went to go get help, so she had to then walk out of the tunnel, obviously. She just didn't stand there going, help me, help me, like olive oil. She had to leave the tunnel. Never seen again. When the cops arrived the next day, there was just the car in the tunnel. No one in it. No one ever found. They were able to track down the woman and go, oh, she's not here. Like, you know, they looked around for her and all that stuff. Go through a registration to find out who she was. Open a full a missing persons case on her. Never find anything. I added 90% of it. The actual legend is a young woman's car broke down, went to get help, but was never found. That's pretty much it. Multiple websites just leave it to that vague. 
I added the whole cop investigation, look, looking at the registration of the car, full start. N- not, and there's no report of any of that happen, happening at all. No report of that. I'm sure people's car broke down in the tunnel before, but no one had gone missing. So that brings us to the third possible story of what caused this. This one has a little name recognition. Ed Sensabog, who the tunnel's named after, has a house at the end of the tunnel. It's the Sensabog house. And in the Sensabog house, he had his family. Good, hardworking man, Ed was. His family hardworking as well. Everyone hardworking. Even the baby. The baby was hardworking and growing up. Basically, human beavers. They're always doing stuff with their hands. Always doing... doing I, I don't know where I'm going with this. The point is, is that one night, Ed flips out and decides to murder his entire family. I have no idea what that whole bit was about them hardworking. But anyways, he murders his entire family and, to top it all off, throws his baby into the pond of water where the robbery story took place. He's like, I hate you, baby. The baby's like, falls under, dives into the water. Doesn't dive. He, 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 um, involuntary. He wasn't like doing like a little, little, like, he wasn't doing like a little, like, Olympic dive. He just falls into the water, dies, and then Sensabog, Ed Sensabog, kills himself in the tunnel. Now, Ed Sensabog is real. The family's real. He was actually was a hardworking man, loved his family. That story never happened either. So, where, there is no reason why this tunnel should be haunted. There, I was reading one website and they said when they were blowing the tunnel up, a couple miners died. And they were just kind of like buried in there, which then it went, then the website went on this weird, like racist rant and was like, yes, the Italians were taken advantage of by the rich white men. And I, I read that and I go, aren't Italians white? Like, what, what, why is this in this story about these dudes blowing up a tunnel? It's so bizarre and out of place. I was like, what? And I couldn't find any other reference to these guys being blown up. But that aside, that bizarre, like, political thing aside, we don't know, one, if people actually blew up making that tunnel. That may or may not have happened, but... Why is the tunnel having these experiences? Now, again, most likely it's not. Most likely, it is a creepy looking tunnel. It is. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's in the middle of a mountain, like all tunnels. So you think, okay, it's one of two things. It's not real at all. And they be, that's the reason why they're all different. Some people see a dark figure chasing you. Sometimes it's in your car. And see, the, the idea was that the dark figure was Ed Sensabog. And then the baby was the baby in the story, in the two versions of the story, both thrown into the water. And then the child's handprint, again, probably a baby's handprint, but I wouldn't even notice that. What I think is the truth is that there may actually be something in that tunnel. And I think it all starts with the one thing that can actually happen in that tunnel. The one logical thing that can actually happen. And that is if you go into that tunnel and you shut your car off, when you go to turn it back on, it doesn't turn on as easily as it should. I think that is very, very likely. That could be attributed to anything giving off any sort of electrical interference in that area that was in the mountain that was blown away. Now, I couldn't say exactly what it was. (laughs) There's like giant magnetic rocks around or just something. But I think that is possible. And I think it's interesting that anything else would be... Uh, created after that. There's a tunnel that people have gone into and they've shut their lights off because it's spooky and they want to scare their girlfriend so she like comes closer to him. 
And then he goes to turn the car back on, and it takes a little bit longer to get it started. She's like, hurry up, Tyler. Hurry up. And he's like, I'm trying, Mary. I'm trying. And then he finally gets it started, and they go home. That is likely. And from that story, from that incident, say, happened in the 1960s, like when these legends started, it just kept going on and on, where people would be like, yeah, that did happen to me, and... A ghost chased me. And people be like, what? And then another kid goes, yeah, that happened to me too. And a baby touched my car. And people are staring at him. And they're like, what? It's a weird de-escalation. This guy's getting chased by a ghost. You just have a baby touch your pinto. He's like, it's a, it's a wacky world. It actually happened though. And then again, it could just be 100% made up. And people like telling this story because it's spooky. It does give you something to do on a Friday night in the middle of Pennsylvania. Which I can't imagine is super fun. Super fun state. I mean, what else is there to do in Pennsylvania? What is, else is there supposed to do in that part of Pennsylvania, especially? Other than, hey, let's go out to this spooky tunnel and tell this crazy ghost story. I love local urban legends. I really do. I think it's fascinating to think of all these little isolated places spread out across the nation, all across the world, where people go, don't go in that cave. Don't go down that road that time of night. Don't walk through that church. Unless you're in church. <laughs> it's Sunday and people are like, don't go there. There's a ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. People are like, what? Yeah, I know he's supposed to be there. I see him every week. But these local legends, I, I always find these super fascinating. And and it really comes, it's one of those things like whether or not it's true at a certain point is irrelevant. The fact is there is a geographical feature that a community has got together and created a modern myth about. That in and of itself fascinates me. Because otherwise this is just a dark tunnel sitting out in the middle of nowhere that people drive through and nothing happens. But by creating this myth and passing it down from generation to generation, they've turned that ordinary tunnel into the Sensabog tunnel. They've turned it into an icon of a haunting and a symbol of how weird the world really can be. I wouldn't have any problem driving through that tunnel and shutting my light off. It wouldn't matter to me. And if I saw a ghost, it would totally terrify me. But if I didn't, I'd still be able to say, you know what, I went through Sensabog Tunnel, and I tried it and nothing happened. But of course, but of course, I could be the one person who does shut the car off, turn the lights off, see something, and can't get the car started in time. And then, years later, someone's doing another podcast Talking about the podcaster who ran his mouth on a show, went to visit a local legend, and became part of the myth himself. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. And I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. 